Hi, I'm Dr. Jared, and welcome to the Plantastic Podcast, a show for plant killers, green thumbs, and everyone else in between. Listen along as I deconstruct the craft and practices of remarkable horticulturists so that you can better cultivate your plants and yourself. Let's grow. This episode of the Plantastic Podcast is brought to you by Ilex Decidua Possum Hall. With winter upon us, I'm always looking for plants that provide winter interest. And this native large shrub slash small tree that inhabits fence rows, edge habitat, and floodplains is a durable, tough choice for modern landscapes. There's even a record of one surviving 105 days underwater. The common name comes from possums supposedly liking the fruit, and the fruit resemble those found on Critagus or haw thorns, so possum haw. Possum haws hide most of the year with inconspicuous white flowers that appear in the spring amongst leaves that are not much bigger than your thumb. But when the foliage falls off of the tree at the end of the growing season, hence the decidua in the epithet, they burn bright against the winter landscape. Well, at least the females do. Possum haws are dioecious and come in both male and female forms, so you need to make sure you have a male plant nearby for pollination. If you're in a pinch, a male Ilex opaca or American holly can fill this role. The rule of thumb is one male for every 20 female plants. There are a number of red-fruited varieties like Warren's Red and Pocahontas, and I love the yellow-fruited finches golden. Whether red or yellow, the fruit shines against the lovely light gray bark and bluebird winter sky. The fruit technically a droop since the red-skinned flesh covers the seed inside, called a pyrene, are beloved by eastern bluebirds, northern bobwhites, wild turkey, and of course, my favorite to watch mob opossum haul, cedar waxwings. They will strip a plant of berries in a day. Plants are multi-stemmed and typically grow 10 to 20 feet, though with pruning for winter decor, you can keep them shorter. Possum haws hardy in USDA zones 5 through 9. You can find this plant and many more at your local garden center and favorite mail-order nursery. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Plantastic Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jared, and we are making our way to the end of 2022. This year, we've had 12 episodes featuring incredible guests to help us learn about plants, their craft, and how to make life more plantastic. So thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing the show with your friends. And thank you for your positive feedback. It really helps me know that this knowledge and inspiration resonates. Two quick plugs before I introduce our guest. On January 21st, 2023, I am presenting at the Atlanta Botanical Gardens Inspired Gardener Symposium. And then I'm giving a keynote at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens Plantorama on January 31st, 2023. So if you are in either of those regions, I'd love to meet and say hi. Now to our guest. This month, I am pleased to welcome Jared Hughes of Groovy Plants Ranch to the show. Groovy Plants Ranch traces its roots back to humble beginnings where determination, ingenuity, and passion helps grow into something unexpected. In 2007, at 19 years old, Jared started to realize the spark of a dream. While taking classes at Columbus State Community College and working at Fort Myer and Sons Greenhouse, he fell more and more in love with plants. The desire to grow as many plants as possible paired with a natural entrepreneurial spirit, led Jared to begin propagating succulents in his limited free time. Their low care and ease of propagation made them a perfect starter crop. From there, the business naturally grew, and he started building a small facility at his parents' farm in Cardington, Ohio. As the business grew, so did Jared's collection of different unusual plants from around the world. In 2015, Jared and his now wife Liz were married, and together they worked diligently on growing the business. Unexpectedly, they found themselves with the opportunity to purchase an amazing greenhouse property in Fargo, Ohio. Jared and Liz went full force into their new venture, Groovy Plants Ranch, where they now work with their two young girls and an amazing staff 
of plant professionals that allow them to grow far more unique and interesting plants than they ever dreamed. In addition to the diversity of plants, Jared and Liz enjoy making the ranch a family-friendly, whimsical oasis of escape for customers from all over the country. Groovy Plants Ranch has been featured in a number of magazines like Better Homes and Gardens, and Midwest Living named them the best garden shop of 2022. This was a wonderful conversation with Jared, hearing about how a magical garden center came to be, and we go in deeper talking about creativity in the world of horticulture. I think you'll get a lot out of this conversation. As always, you can find out more on the show notes at theplantasticpodcast.com, and if you'd like to learn more about Jared, you can visit GroovyPlantsRanch.com. That's G-R-O-O-V-Y-P-L-A-N-T-S-R-A-N-C-H.com. And they are also on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. So just search for Groovy Plants Ranch. So without further ado, here's my plantastic conversation with Jared Hughes. Hi, Jared, and welcome to the Plantastic Podcast. I'm thrilled to have you on today. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. You've got a great first name. Yeah, and <laughs> you spell your name correctly. I do. That is correct. I just wish that we had ownership in like the Jared Diamond store or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I guess we'll just stick with plants. Sure. So... The first question I always ask people on the Plants Asset podcast is, where did your interest in plants germinate? Well, I think my original interest for plants really came from my grandfather and my mother growing up. My grandfather actually had a horticulture degree from The Ohio State University. He ended up pursuing a career in special needs, but was an avid home gardener. I think he had all the makings of a professional horticulturist but took a different career path. So at his own home, he showed me his love for plants. And I don't think during his, he passed when I was fairly young. So I don't think I really realized, I didn't really realize my love for plants until I got into probably my early teens. But I do believe it probably came from him and, and the his home gardens. I would also say I just had a love for the natural world from a very young age. Just one of the many children, one of the many kids that falls in love with science and finding bugs and all of that. I think animals and bugs were probably what started me and the love for science and the natural world grew into a love for plants. It's very similar to my story too, because my great grandfather was the one who really shared gardening with me. And then of course, mm -hmm. I've loved science as well from a very yep. young age. What led you to pursue going to Columbus State for horticulture? So I, I went to Columbus State Community College for landscape design and figured I would springboard my academic horticulture career from there. Columbus State and Ohio State worked together a lot with core classes, so I figured I would just go on to horticulture at Ohio State from there, which I ended up not doing. I ended up pursuing my business instead, working in the trade through the whole process. But Columbus State, I went there because it was affordable. I, I worked my way through college, really didn't have much of a college fund or anything like that. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I did. I knew I loved plants. I was going to be in the park service. I spent a year at Hawking Tech, which is one of the number one, I think, schools in the country for natural resources. So I thought I was going to be a park ranger. Hmm. And I spent an entire year there and took every natural resources class I could cram into a year. I basically just ignored everything else. And it was a great experience, but that was right at the beginning of the Great Recession, right before the Great Recession. A lot of government jobs were getting slashed at the time, and it really didn't look like there was much of a path forward for me. The other that would have been that would have been 2008 2009ish. This was 2007 okay. right before things really started. 2007 2008. So I took a year there and learned my natives dendrology, learned a lot of natural resources related things too, which was really cool ornithology, ichthyology, really fun stuff, which I think probably helped me get pretty proficient at learning Latin. And I and so learning all that natural sciences stuff definitely when the time came for ornamental horticulture in my life it was just, it was an easy fit. 
Now, the one thing that really stood out to me, though, with my prospects of working for the Park Service was I really didn't have any creative outlet. I and mean, I'm a fairly creative individual. So landscape design offered me this opportunity to potentially be outside, use plants in a creative way, uh, be able to do some artistic things, draw, et cetera. And that was, I pursued that degree. Now I don't really use, I don't do landscaping. I did landscaping at the beginning of my business, but the plant classes alone, Columbus State, it's not a very well-known school, but that program was a fantastic program. And Deborah Kanapke, she's a lot of people may know her from GardenCom. She was my perennials, herbaceous perennials teacher there. And just some fantastic professors at that school. So our plant ID courses were amazing. I'm very happy with the, with the education I got there. That's incredible. Yeah, I know Deborah. I met her at PPA years ago. So Yeah, she's wonderful. Saw her yesterday. Oh, that's cool. Awesome. Yeah. And then you also worked at Fort Myer and Sons yeah. as well, too. Could you share some of the lessons you learned there that are really impactful? Yeah. Fort Myer and Sons Greenhouse is an annual, is primarily an annual grower in Delaware, Ohio. So from me here, that's about 20 minutes away. I needed a job when I was 18, just graduated high school. I hadn't gone off to college yet. My dad said this place was hiring and I should go, I should go apply. Now I had worked at a greenhouse in my hometown of Cardington and I honestly hated the work. It's like, this work is terrible. I will never, ever do this. It wasn't. What did you hate about it? I mean, without pointing fingers or anything, I, I, it wasn't quite the facility that, that I would end up going to work at. And I th- probably just being a teenager, there's a lot of awful hard labor. And at that time, I'm pretty sure I was getting paid below minimum wage. So it was just not a fun experience. And, and I said I would never do it. And that's kind of what's funny because I swore I would never do it. And then, of course, I turned 18 a few years later and there's a seasonal greenhouse job. At this point, I was starting to collect some plants and I had a very rudimentary interest in plants. So so I got this job at Fort Myron Sons and it's exactly what you'd expect, seasonal labor position, moving plants around. Now, I had worked in retail quite a bit as a teenager, so I did very easily pick up with the customer relationships and I learned the plant material pretty quickly for some. I think Spanish class was part of that too, just learning a language. So I picked up quickly. I realized in myself pretty fast that this was something I was pretty good at, that I'm not, I wasn't good at many things, but I could remember plant names for some reason. So that interest grew, but again, I didn't really know. It was just a seasonal job. Then I went off to Hawking Tech. When I came back, I decided to go to Columbus State and I continued working at Fort Myron Sons when I came back. So I spent 10 years there. I went from seasonal labor to retail manager over the course of that that time there. And Fort Meyer, Mark Fort Meyer is my mentor and his sons have become good friends of mine and are a fantastic annual grower. So they've actually in recent years kind of led the charge, at least here in Ohio, towards the biological use, biological use in, in horticulture. So Mark is an innovative individual. He's always looking at new ways to do things better, how to be more efficient and how to build probably the biggest thing, one of the biggest things that he did for me, teaching me, he put a lot into me, but he did really instill in me, among others, like Sid Raish, building value around what we do and not devaluing what we do. So I'm kind of an acolyte of Mark Fortmeyer and Sid Raish in those, in that ideology, and it's reflected in my business. Mark was always wanting to charge more for everything we grew and try not to discount. And even to the point where it was difficult, we come to work with our own biases. And if you don't believe in the value of what you're doing, no one else is going to. So really just learning how to grow annuals really well and what the, how that whole supply chain worked, which is really the whole supply chain of the industry. And Mark, he must have noticed that I was genuinely interested because he just threw me right into everything. I think, were you involved with American Horde at all when you were younger? Yes, I was. Yeah. Yeah. So he got me involved pretty early and he asked if I was interested and I, sure, why not? So I got pretty involved with American Heart early on, not much, not so much recently, 
as I've been focusing on my own business and the growth of that. But yeah, just exposing me to the industry, exposing me to the right way of doing things, how to grow, and then allowing me to develop my retail skills at his business by putting me in charge of his retail store. That's incredible hands-on learning. A couple of things to go back to just for our audience. Could you define biologicals a little bit more? Because some people may be unfamiliar with that term. Yeah. So at Fort Myer, one, one method of pest control that has really come into its own in the past decade, 15 years, is the use of biological organisms to control various pests in the greenhouses. Everything from aphids and mealybugs to thrips. And there's just, there is a whole, it, it is a whole new, totally well-rounded approach to pest control in the greenhouse. So primarily, I think the, one of the first things they implemented was sachets of predatory mites to help control thrip popul thrips populations. But it goes far beyond that. And it is a whole, there are multiple people that have careers just in that arena. Yeah. For your business, do y'all use biologicals? We do use biologicals. Yeah. Probably not not to the level of sophistication that Fort Myron Sons is, but we are getting better every year. That's awesome. What lessons have you learned with using them? Well, the hardest thing recently is the house plant boom house plant boom. And when you introduce new things to your greenhouse plants, man, it makes it difficult to stay on top of everything. So you have to monitor, monitor. And who knows what those plants are coming in with, not only from a pest standpoint, but say a chemical residue standpoint. So it's, uh, I'd say, what have I learned? You have to stay on top of it. You have to stay on top of it. You have to monitor everything all the time. You have to know what's going on biologically in your greenhouses and there's no room. You can't, when you're maintaining biological populations, it's not like you can just let the problem get away from you and then go in and nuke everything. You're throwing away a lot of hard work and a lot of money doing that. So staying on top of it really is the scouting constantly really is what I would say. And then the rotations, constantly having things on rotation planned ahead of time because with biologicals, you can't really wait for the problem to present itself to treat it. You have to be ahead of it. So if you notice you have a thrips issue and you got to wait a week, you know, maybe it's midweek and now you're waiting till early next week to get your shipment of live biologicals. Mm -hmm. At that point, the speed at which pests reproduce. So, so staying on top of it is probably the big thing. Yeah. You mentioned rotation. So like rotating different plants, the greenhouse, is that what you meant? Rotating in your new biologicals. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Having that all timed out and planned ahead for, and really learning to build a program around it, which is where we're at right now with, it's kind of like a moving target though, with all these new plants coming in. Mm -hmm. It's not just like, a, if it was just a spring rotation and you were doing your spring planting, you introduce your biologicals at the beginning, whatever rotation you need to do part of the way through the life cycle of the crop. And then you move your things outside and you sell them. But when you're maintaining plant material that maybe came from outside, it is like it is moving target. So it's pretty difficult. Yeah. Thanks for exploring that more. Yeah. And then you also mentioned American Hort, which you and I both know hosts one of the largest horticulture trade shows in the U.S., which is Cultivate in Ohio. What are some of the core things that you took away from being engaged with them? Networking was the huge thing. Networking, American Hort and networking. Many of the lasting relationships that I have now are people I've met through American Horror, people that have helped me grow my business in monumental ways. So I'd say that's the number one. And that's really what it all comes down to, right? It's what we're, it's what we're doing now. So yeah. obviously, there's plenty of education and things that I've learned from it. I was involved on a committee for the SHIFT initiative which was a kind of a fact-finding initiative. I don't know how many years ago that was. Probably more than I want, want to think about nine or 10 <laughs> years ago. That sounds uh, about right. Yeah. Yeah. But it was actually, it was a little bit ahead of its, it was really ahead of its time, but by a couple of years. And that being part of that and the findings that they had really, you go look at the plant shops that are out there now, they called that nine years ago. And I think in a lot of ways, that information just kind of disappeared or didn't really get out there as much as I would have liked to see. I agree. I agree. There was some really good information that came out of that. 
And you know, what's funny is there, there's now a national plant store called Stump. I don't think they're out West much, but I think they have almost a dozen shops now. They're plant shops, but two of the, one of the graduate students and one of the professors from CCAD, who, so Columbus College of Art and Design was actually brought in to do that study as a graduate study. American Horror funded that study. They ended up leaving their prospective careers and started Stump after doing that research project. They now have Hmm. dozens of stores. So there's the proof in the pudding. And my business, I started the same year, really started Groovy Plants Ranch from a retail perspective, the same year that Emily broke away and her and Brian went after Stump. And a lot of those lessons I took to the bank too. So that was really cool. the, The shift initiative and the findings from that Kind of a kind of an underdog project that we I don't I don't hear it talked about much anymore. At this point, if if you're not in the houseplant game or you haven't done much with houseplants, you kind of miss the boat. But yeah, kind of kind of remarkable how well they called it. And I even when I was a part of it, I didn't really believe how intense. I never could have imagined how intense it would get. Yeah, you've kind of circled around talking about shift, but you said there were some key lessons and things that you took from it and then employed. What were some of those maybe two or three things that really stand out to you or you remember that you took from that research and employed? Well, I guess I should reframe it a little bit. When we what we were doing with Shift was we were really trying to find ways to get a younger and younger audience involved with plant material. And at the time, I think Texas A&M University was doing like coleus giveaways and just trying to get plants in people's hands. And I, I think what we were looking for was an icebreaker because what the information that came back from Shift was that young people really just didn't know how to interact with plants. They were scared of them. They were scared to touch them. They really didn't want that level of responsibility in their life, <laughs> which seems so funny now because yeah. everybody has plants. Yeah. Well, also so, people have pets too. And so it's just like goldfish or hamsters or lizards. So it's just kind of funny thinking about nobody wants that responsibility. <laughs> but, you know, in all fairness, that the plant boom started before COVID and COVID just intensified the situation. But yeah, that's true. I guess what I would say the lessons were at the time that we did have a problem and that there had to be ways to get people involved with, with plants. And the answer kind of presented itself because now what this beautiful gift that we've been given is we have these millions of people that have now touched plants over the past two years. So who cares if they keep buying house plants? At least we broke the ice. Like we broke yeah. the ice. It happened. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Will it translate into them becoming gardeners? I am not going to give into some self-fulfilling prophecy that says no. Yeah. I'm just going to expect that they will. Yeah. And the ones that will, hopefully they come to me. But the other one was really the presentation. And I'm not, I'm still not totally so, you know, uh, what came out of that were all these curated plant stores. I'm sure you've been to them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they definitely fill a niche. And I think it's great that they, they're out there on the front lines putting the plants in people's hands. So it's wonderful. I run a conventional greenhouse and I could never in a million years <laughs> run a plant shop like a shoe store. Like mm-hmm. I just couldn't, but it, it is powerful and it's relevant whether it works for me or not. And there are lessons to be taken from it. Like not necessarily having all of your plants all out in one spot. Maybe you have a more of a curated selection and, and try to make your space interactive and interesting so that when you walk in, it's not just a sea of green or green wallpaper. And I think we've all, the trade has been given a huge gift. Not that we haven't had to work for it, but I really do. I look forward to the future of just selling all kinds of plants. It's a great future to look forward to. Yeah. So what initiated you wanting to start Groovy Plants Ranch? So you went to college, you worked at Fort Meyer and Sons for 10 years. What provided the impetus for you to branch out on your own? Well, I think I really do think there's something behind the idea that there are people that are just naturally driven to be entrepreneurs and those that aren't. They call it the entrepreneurial spirit or whatever. I was a 
paper boy at 10 and loved making that money and (laughs) just having, having resource, I guess what it really was, is having resources. And I didn't have much as a kid growing up. And when I was working at what, what really did it, I was working at Fort Myer. I remember the day I had been moving succulents, Mark early on before the succulent boom. And the succulent boom is really what grew my company to where it is. But succulents really started to boom about 10 years ago. Well, I was 18. I started this when I was like 19. And it started out as landscaping and selling plants at markets. But I was moving plants. Mark had, early, at that point, there was really just a small selection of succulents available on the market from the horticulture trade. And he had the proven selections succulent line, which I think is like a maybe a non-branded or a non-patented wing of a plant brand. Can't quite remember which one. So anyway, he had these succulents. They were not performing well in sales. Probably didn't fit into his mix very well. He wasn't a niche nursery. He was an annual grower doing mostly fundraisers and a small retail store at the time. So I would move these things around and we could just never sell them. And pieces break off when you move succulents. Pieces of them fall off. Yeah. And every morning I run the leaf blower and blow all the dirt and stuff, potting soil off into the perimeters of the greenhouse and try and clean the place up. After about three weeks, I noticed some of those leaves were starting to grow plants out of the leaves in the gravel with no water. And it was just that light bulb moment where it was like, wait a minute, these things are growing with no care. I could grow those because at the time I'm going to school, I'm working full time. There's, I can't grow petunias. They're going to die. There's no way I can take care of a labor intensive crop, but maybe succulents, I could just stick them in pots and they'll just grow. And I talked to Mark about it. He had this one rolling rack of succulents. And I was like, Mark, I want to, I'd like to buy that rack of succulents from you. What would you charge me for it? I want to take them and cut them up. And this is an amazing thing about Mark Fort Meyer. He charged me 300 bucks for that rack of plants. (laughs) (laughs) He did not in any way discourage me from pursuing my own project. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm working for him. So he encouraged me. I bought the rack. I cut those plants up into thousands of pieces. I put them in pots. They grew as they do, rooted perfectly fine. And I started selling them at flea markets. And that is where Groovy Plants Ranch began. And Groovy being, plants were popular in the 60s. And they're pretty groovy looking. They're cool. And Mm. that's where it came from. So it really did start with succulents. I was enamored with succulents. I still am. I sell a lot of them. I grow a lot of them. And it's just a group of plants I really love, but we do everything at this point. So how from flea markets did you blossom into owning your own property and starting your own retail garden center? Yeah. So it was very much that stair step. I started with my balcony at college and from there was able to put up a little PVC tent greenhouse at my parents' home. And from there, I built a wood greenhouse and it lasted all of two years before it about came down in a windstorm. It was made out of whatever materials I could find. Amazingly bad, like amazingly shoddy outfit. This is about as about as bootstrapped as you can get. Rotten wood, the whole nine yards. That paid for a steel Atlas greenhouse Quonset hut. And that Quonset hut paid for three more. And at that point, my dad made me keep records of all of my sales from the beginning of my business all the way through, which was not easy for me to do. I'm not a numbers guy. I just remember that being like so annoying to me, keeping track of my sales. Well, I'll try to keep this brief because this story alone would take up an entire hour. But <laughs> working at Fort Meyer, there was this beautiful little schoolhouse, schoolhouse near my parents' farm. It was actually, with, you could see my parents' farm from it, where I'd been growing this small business, and it was for sale. So for two years, I tried to buy this little schoolhouse. And Liz and I get married, and right before we got married, the guy tells me that he can't sell it to me. There's a title issue, and the sale was going to fall through. Mm-hmm. So I was super irritated. It was just a great opportunity to continue to work the farm there and grow my business. I was selling wholesale to the local garden centers here in Columbus. And had a nice little business going, 40,000 quart pots of succulents a year, 
performing. Yeah. So it was really starting to turn into something for two people. In addition, I had my day job and Liz was a teacher. So we moved into a small, small house in the town of Cardington across from the gas station and drove to my parents' farm, drove to our respective jobs. On our honeymoon, we found out that a mutual nurseryman that we knew had passed away very untimely. And my best friend, Clayton, I get a call on, we're on our honeymoon, sale on our schoolhouse prospect had just fallen through. And Clayton says, hey, Jared, Jeff passed away. And it was really sad. So about two weeks later, Clayton's boss, Dave, called me. He goes, hey, Jared, I'm helping Tammy. Jeff's widow broker the sale of all of these plants. He had a whole bunch of plants going here. And he, she would like to sell these all off and get out of the business. And I'd like you to come out to this big sale that we're going to have. All the big boys are coming. The nurseries are coming. Big retail companies in central Ohio. We're all going to come to this sale and liquidate this place. And I said, Dave, thank you for the offer. But that feels really weird and icky to me because pennies on the dollar for the guy's life's work. It's just not something that I'm super, super interested in. So if they're coming, I hope the sale goes well. And I'm sorry to hear that she's dealing with that. But best of luck. I get a call about two weeks later. It just felt weird to me. I just didn't really want to be part of it. Buying up all this guy's stuff for nothing just seemed weird. So if there was bigger companies that could do it, then good on them. Two weeks later, he calls me. He goes, hey, Jared, we did our big sale and they bought almost nothing. Hmm. And Tammy really could use the help. Maybe you could buy some stuff for Fort Myer. Maybe you could buy some stuff for you. You really ought to come out and look at it. So I got... I talked to Liz and I talked to Mark Fortmeyer and I got the go ahead from both of them to see if I could. Now it became, the narrative changed a little bit because now it was helping her out and it wasn't just vulturing off this guy's business, which someone's got to buy it, but didn't need to be me. So I got my truck and got my trailer and came over to the property. And the first thing I saw was a one room schoolhouse. This was like a month and a half after my one room schoolhouse sale had fallen apart right at my parents' farm. And mm -hmm. here was this one room schoolhouse with a whole greenhouse operation attached to it. It was small, but for me, it was huge at the time. I had nothing, nothing, just sweat equity. That was it. So I bought a bunch of plants. I sold them at Fort Myer, did the best I could for her. And the conversation started to develop that she was going to maybe sell the property. So we wrote her a letter stating how incredible it would be to be able to carry on the legacy of Fargo Herbs here and really build off what they had already built and how it would be a life-changing thing for us to be able to have a retail business. And it would just be a dream come true. And how the property never went to market. She sold it to us. We were able to get a small, a young farmer's loan through the FSA at the time, which was really monumental. Um, and it hit like wildfire. I think Liz quit her job the second year, maybe third year in. I did the whole thing myself the first couple of years with help from a couple of friends. One of my coworkers from Fort Myer quit Fort Myer and came and worked for me. His name's Craig. He's been a PPA guy. He was at PPA. I don't know if you saw Craig, but very knowledgeable. Worked at Mill Creek Gardens for 20 years, which is a big perennial grower here in central Ohio. So had a lot of great talent and a lot of great experience, a great network with Fort Myer and Sons, left on good terms, great terms. I talk to them every day. I still do a lot of business with them. And yeah, the community, one, was thrilled. And I came in and put my own spin on it. When you have a name like Groovy Plants Ranch in the middle of the country, people take notice. <laughs> yes, they do. And it's been nothing but good, to be honest. There's been some interesting reactions, but for the most part, it's been really, really good. And we've just experienced monumental growth. We've been able to acquire a couple more properties that are adjacent to us. And I feel like we're, we definitely developed somewhat of like a, almost a small cult following here in central Ohio. That's amazing. It's just incredible to see y'all become such a rising star in the world of retail horticulture. And y'all had some event where it was so busy, traffic shut down on the road, right? We've just done almost the unimaginable in the past two years. I never, the amount of cars that come to Groovy Plants Ranch, I had to put in bigger parking lots. I was like throwing down gravel just in time to put cars on top of it. We had two days over Mother's Day weekend where we actually shut down a state route, which was one of the most stressful times of my entire life. Yeah, Mother's Day and Frost Free 
hit on the same weekend here in central Ohio by surprise. So Mother's Day was actually pretty early and May 15th is generally our frost-free day. But the meteorologist said, you're good to go. The two-week forecast looks amazing. Mother's Day weekend happened and we had a local news station come do a little story on our business, which hit the same week. And it actually ended up going to all of like Cleveland and Mansfield north of us, but a huge net. So we ended up having something like, I mean, we're a small business. I think we had like 250 cars in the parking lot and a lot, it was like Woodstock. There was a line all the way down our road, which is about a mile of cars stopped. And then the state route there stopped. So where you turned into our road, it was stopped. Hmm. We had deputies that were supposed to come help us on Saturday and they didn't show. So I called the sheriff's office. I said, where is everybody? Well, they didn't take the shift. So I was like, well, they're coming anyway. <laughs> they did. Yeah. And you were, what you were alluding to. Yeah. The traffic got so bad. Somebody, a woman flipped out in traffic she actually went, one of the officers showed up and started directing traffic. They shut us down twice for half an hour each to empty our parking lots just uh, to get people out. This was with like 13 registers running. Wow. We weren't going slow. We we're just completely overwhelmed. It was, I don't know if it was COVID madness, people needing plants coming out of winter or what. But yeah, she went after the traffic officer. And got herself arrested in spectacular fashion in front of everyone. It was extremely stressful. I'm not happy about it at all. I look back on it now. I'm just happy that we all made it through it. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, it was. And I'm thinking, like, it's plants. (laughs) Well, people do crazy things for plants, I guess, right? Yeah. Pretty wild, but we had during the peak of COVID, even we would do these unique and rare plant releases and huge house plant releases. And we'd have people in the whole parking lot in the middle of winter. It was just like nothing I'll likely ever see again. It was very remarkable. Yeah, definitely. So I'm listening to you and I'm aware that you have this sort of, I would call it scavenging, bootstrapping spirit where start from very little and you figure out how to use that to do incredible things and y'all have made play areas out of old airplanes and done just incredible things at your retail garden center where does that spirit come from is it something you just have or is it something you've cultivated over time or is it survival just trying to get by it's creativity i would say I think people really respond to the unexpected. So yeah, the airplane. I thought it'd be cool to have an airplane as part of a garden installation. And if you're going to spend like a couple thousand dollars on a playground, why not just get an airplane? (laughs) You can buy them on Facebook. Buy an airplane on Facebook. No, that's amazing. They're out there and they're cheap. It's just a shell. But kids think it's the most magical thing in the world. So even though I would say it, it is formulaic, okay, there is a formula. So we call those the relics, the relics at the ranch. We don't do much in the way of conventional retail displays. We have more like these vignettes where we use the plants in maybe unexpected ways. And a lot of places where people can take photos So it does seem, it may seem kind of like a scrapper thing, but it's really a formula of doing something that no one else really is doing. It's totally out of creativity. Liz and I are both very creative people. She has an MFA in fine arts from Kent. And and I think of myself as an artist in ways. I'm always using things to make, it's almost like world building. When you come to Groovy Plant, have you been... To the ranch? I have not. I do want to come, but yeah, definitely the next time I'm in the Columbus area, I'm coming. So I like to think that when you come to the ranch, the first thing you see when you pull up is kind of this Western vibe. You pull in and there are these massive agaves just growing in the landscape with desert plants mixed in with perennials and everything else. And that you don't see that anywhere in Ohio. So automatically you're taken out of place and out of time. There's Mm -hmm. rusty stuff all over the place. 
old old cars that have plants growing out of them. And there's really no rule as to what we can do. So, you know, what is Groovy Plants Ranch? Is it like a hippie town? Like, is it a cowboy thing? What's going on? There's no rule. Because there's no box for us to live in, we'll never go out of style. Because it's camp. Yeah. Pretty campy. But, you know, you've got the camp, which is really fun, pretty much universally accepted and loved. Everybody enjoys it. There's like from things to see and do at the ranch, there's something for everybody, whether it's old cars or the airplane for the kids or whatever it is. It's all packaged in a pretty fun and unexpected way. We have this hobbit house. That's amazing. It's a hobbit house. <laughs> I built it for my kids as a passion project because I'm creative and I just thought I got this idea that I wanted to do it. And I had all these extra materials from a construction project. And really, since I had the materials, it wasn't a big deal at all. But people love the hobbit. Now, now I've opened it up to the public because we've moved to another property adjacent and people just think it's incredible. So the formula is there because I already know when I dig deep into the weirdness Mm-hmm. It always pays back. So so it's very validating. And the unique plants, uh, people love the weird plants and they're all over the property. And what's great is this property had a plantsman at it before me. So there's some pretty sweet old plants here. Mm. And it's just a, it's a unique space. So it's kind of my, kind of a playground. Yeah. So if you could define the formula, what is the formula to constantly be doing things differently? There's two parts to it. It needs to drip with creativity and Mm -hmm. a unique use of plants. And again, the plants are really what it's all about. We were having a company meeting a couple of days ago. And what was the line? The experience that the customer has will be a byproduct of our passion for plants, much like oxygen is a byproduct. Mm -hmm. So... So when we're trying to figure out what to do next and what the next thing is, the answer is right in front of us. It's the plants. And then using them in unexpected ways. So the creativity paired with actual plant chops. We honestly have some plants here that are amazing. Like stuff you can't find. I source stuff from all over. I have stuff coming from Indonesia. I have Mm. a guy up north, Bill Hendricks. He's a titan in the trade. He is a cactus nut he was president of the cactus society midwest cactus society so he's a massive collection he propagates for us so i have stuff you can't find anywhere so the creativity really fun experience if that's what you want i call it the joy of the visit okay Mm -hmm. because you can have an experience people say well you've really created an experience here and it's like okay like like a good experience or a bad experience like there's a lot of of experience (laughs) right the joy of the visit, and then actual plant chops. The quality has to be there, the variety, and then things that make people go, wow. Like right now, I have a whole crop of spiral cactus, and they're, they're not easy to find. I've probably got a couple hundred of them. And when you see it, it's, it makes you stop. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so I'd say that's what the formula is. That's cool. One of the questions I like to ask on the podcast is reframing it based on the guest. But like if you had to teach a college class or a master class to adults on owning your own business or running a retail garden center, what would you teach? But I, I really think you just answered that. This I love the phrase too, dripping with creativity. How do you keep this creative spirit alive? It's difficult, especially like I never leave. Yeah, I was about to say, based on what I've seen from you, it sounds like you said you moved off property, but it sounds like this is your life, period. Well, I think genuinely, passion is probably one of those words that gets overused, but yeah, genuinely really loving a thing makes it easier, <laughs> for sure. So I like to garden. Go figure. Mm-hmm. It helps a lot. The phrase, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life is a bunch of garbage. Like that's just nonsense. <laughs> but yeah. if you love what you do, then you'll keep doing, you keep doing what you do. Right. So I think that helps. Completing things certainly helps because you get closure on a project. I, I'm one of those that's really good at starting things and not always finishing them, but yeah. really forcing yourself to finish stuff helps a lot. Yeah. How do you force yourself? How do you do that? Because I struggle with the same thing. 
I guess one thing I've identified about, I really like moving forward. So I like speed. I like moving forward. And I like, I like seeing the return on a thing. So I get a lot about, if I do say, I take the Volkswagen Beetle and I turn it into a gigantic succulent planner. I'm not going to get the validation of the customer feedback until I finish it. And I really like it when people respond to the space that we've created. And that relates to sales. They buy stuff too. And I love selling plants. I don't need Mm -hmm. to keep them. (laughs) I don't need to keep them. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm a plant retailer. So I don't know if that answered your question, but... No, it is. You're doing a great job. Yeah. Knowing that that you're going to get a return for a thing once you've finished it definitely helps you finish it. Because I'll have five, 10 projects going all the time. It's almost like a, I'm just a creative individual. So it's almost like a curse. Yeah. But why don't you see more garden centers that do this approach and really embrace creativity? Like I said, I haven't been to visit yet. I can't wait to visit, but from following y'all on social media, y'all always have something amazing, cool experiences, cool festivals. Why don't we see more garden centers? or more plant places really imbuing that spirit of creativity? Well, there's probably many reasons. A lot of businesses are not, I'm the creator. I'm the originator of Groovy Plants Ranch. So that helps. There's a lot of, there's a lot of fire there. So if you're not, if it's second, third generation, maybe not the founders anymore. I think about when my kids grow up, are they going to want to take this over or do it? And even if they did, I don't know that they, I'm sure there's potential there and many companies survive for generations, but many don't. So I just look at them doing it and it's like, would they, it would not be the same. So I think that's probably part of it. Generational differences. I have a lot of great coaches in my life. So people that I'm, I have a network that I am constantly working with to and like Mark Fortmeyer, we're like two kids and we will just come up with ideas all day long. They, sometimes they're garbage and sometimes they're great. But having having a network of people and having coaches, I think is a big one. And this whole, a lot of this industry very is very much bootstrap and I can do it myself. So I really can't say why, but might be a couple things there. Yeah. Thank you. Besides plants, are there other projects and things that you do in life to cultivate your creativity? Maybe books that you read or other crafts, art projects that you work on? Let's see. I'm pretty into old cars. So I'm always working on one at a time, sometimes two at a time. So I'm working on an old Javelin with my dad right now and an old El Camino. So I like old stuff. I like history. Liz and I love to hike. So anytime we go anywhere, it's somewhere with a national park of some kind. I spend a lot of time gardening at my home putting in new gardens, not just Mm -hmm. vegetable gardening, but actual gardens, rock gardens and vegetable gardens and all of it, aquatic garden. And then, yeah, my kids and my dogs. That's great. Yeah. About it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sounds like you're busy enough with all those things. (laughs) Yeah. I have a full life. Good. Good. Are there gardening books or other books that you return to frequently for inspiration or ideas? Not as much recently as I should. The Bizarre Botanicals is an older book from, Tim, I think it's Timber Press. I really love that. I picked it up recently and flipped back through. It's one of those books that really, I guess, built value around the oddities in the plant world. And kind of when I saw that book came out, I latched onto that. This was at the beginning of my career. And it made it apparent to me that there was definitely this person wrote a book. So there must be some validity to the idea that people are interested in weird plants. And of course they are. So that one. And then there's, um, I think it's Cacti and Succulents for Cold Climates by Leo Chance. I believe that's the name of the book. That, That was a really great. One of the things I think that drives me is that the idea of like zone pushing or trying things that I shouldn't try in my area. The inspiration in there, even though it's quite difficult to garden with cacti and succulents in Ohio, 
the idea of just trying the unexpected has done a lot for me in my career. We do a lot of Japanese hearty bananas, and that is an unbelievable success for us. So it kind of fits in there. It's this, these unusual things that you wouldn't expect to find. And we have like 15, 20 foot tall plants here. And wow. it just blows people away when they come. Go figure, we, we do sell them. Yeah. Like Musabashi, is that yes. the one? Yeah. yeah. It's a great plant. Yeah. It, it grows fine here in Ohio. That's you need to do a little ground prep and do your homework. But because, I mean, there are not many garden centers that really capitalize on the unusual. Yeah. We sell a lot of them. Yeah. That's awesome. So wrapping up, I want to ask a few quick fire questions. Sure. So what are you working on right now that's really exciting to you? Right now we're building a new greenhouse to greatly increase our production. So we are growing. We're growers, retailers. So we're putting in a pretty large head house, which will help us with streamlining our production capabilities, in addition to putting in a propagation house with mist and heat. And that is actually getting completed today. So I'm pretty Oh, nice. Congratulations. I have so many cool plants in stock that I just haven't been able to make to a meaningful degree because the demand of plants is so high and my propagation setup is not as sophisticated as it could be. So having this level of sophistication will really allow me to flex a little bit with the cool stuff. So I'm very excited about that. Let's see. We're pushing ahead with retail in some really cool ways. I wouldn't get too crazy into it, but the way that we're going to approach retail in the future with online as well is something I'm excited about and I look forward to maybe talking about further on down the road once I see how my ideas, how successful they are. Excellent. Good. Preview of uh, another episode in the future then, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, we have some interesting methods of building value around plants without ever discounting them. That's good. Yeah, some really fun things. Good. Well, I can't wait to learn more about those. Is there a group of plants that is really interesting to you right now? Like I'll never ask somebody their favorite plant, but is there a group of plants or category of plants that's really interesting to you that you've really dealt into lately? We've been growing perennials for many years now, but I would say perennials I'm continually excited about. And just the supply chain of new and interesting perennials that are coming out, I'm real I really enjoy being part of the that whole process. And yeah, as far as our own production in-house, I'm most excited about all of the new perennials that we're growing. Awesome. So I'm very into perennials and I'm just super looking forward to having that increased production. Me too. And shout out to the Perennial Plant Association. Absolutely. (laughs) What's one or two that's really got you jazzed lately? This year, for the first time, we're doing all of our own peonies. Oh, nice. So my love for plants is very much tied to my love for selling plants. I'm very excited about growing my own peonies and selling my own peonies. Yeah, It feels good when things are profitable and the more profitable they are, the better it feels. And to have the varieties that people really want. I'm my problem is I like just about everything. I love them all. Groovy plants can be anything because it's, but you know, to have all the coral peonies that people were just begging for last year. And now I have them. I'm really Mm -hmm. excited about that because I know I'm going to have happy customers And it makes me like the plants even more. So I wouldn't say I'm a freak for peonies, but I'm excited to be doing my own peonies. Some of the stuff Walter's Gardens is pushing out right now is just amazing. The hibiscus line that they have is fantastic. It's a great retail product. Unbelievable performance. Those would be two really easy ones, but there's so many. I think we have easily two or 3,000 varieties. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Peonies are one of the things that I hate we can't do down here in the deep South. Yeah. So I'd love to find a heat tolerant variety or two, but Bartzella, some of the Ito peonies have some promise, but yeah, that's cool. 
Awesome. It's a great plant as a, if you were to say as a, like a garden communicator too, it's a great, it's a great plant just for the longevity of it. When you can tell a customer that this plant could live well over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, what a great way to keep the passion for gardening going. I have a 150 year old peony in my yard. Wow. From my family. So wow. yeah, they're wonderful. Yeah. And sustainable as well too. Sustainable. Yeah. What is one practice that you wish gardeners did more? One practice gardeners did more. Make the world better to have better ecology. Like if there's one thing that people did walking out of your shop that you wish they did more for better success for growing plants. You know, it would be great is if people could figure out micro drip irrigation, it, it's such a simple thing. I set up a micro drip system. Of course, I know what I'm doing. I've built hundreds of them, but I set up a micro system for my house and the amount of water saved by going micro and time, like your actual life, hours of your life out there watering, that's probably one of those limiting factors that really kills gardening for people. And to put in a micro system and a lot of those, a lot of the, the even the, ch- the cheapest ones out there that are good, like a true micro drip system that would be used in the trade, they're dirt cheap to set up. You might have 150 bucks in the whole thing if you if you go flashy. And how much time are you going to save of your life throughout the gardening season? And then the success that the you know that that gardeners could would have from that system, I think, would relate to more plant cells and a, and probably a more enjoyable overall experience. And I had massive annual containers and peppers coming out of my ears. And just from these microsystems, and I'd run the thing on a little timer. It was like 10 minutes every couple of days. That's one of those little things. And But I don't know how that gets packaged and is scalable and you know, teach people how to do it and all those things. It's not difficult at all. I did a TikTok on it, and it was pretty well received. Several thousand views, but that would be one for sure. That's cool. Do you use the emitters or do you use like the tape that has the holes in it? Emitters. Emitters. Yeah. With spaghetti tube comes, you don't even need, but depending on how you build your system, you wouldn't even need that, but it's all very affordable stuff, but it hasn't really been packaged. I don't, because everybody's situation is different. It's hard to say how we would get people to buy into it, but I know their success level would be higher with it. Yeah. I spend my life watering. I don't want to go home and water. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. In fact, that's one of the things we deal with here too at the university is just watering plants and teaching students to water plants because you're given sometimes students to watering plants and they never watered a plant in their life. So, which I think their customers probably in a similar boat too. One other, one other thing I would point out really quick is pest control. You know what I, some people need to do some videos on this. I get it all the time because we sell a lot of house plants and people have these massive collections spraying chemicals on the bugs when all you need to do most of the time is take your plant and rinse it off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're throwing the kitchen sink at this thing. They're like a mealy bug on their, on their pothos. And it's like, you know, I've sprayed it with alcohol. I've sprayed it with peroxide. I've sprayed it with neem oil and they just won't go away. It's like, well, spray them off. (laughs) <laughs> you get 95% of them people. Yeah. That's one I wish they did differently. They don't know that you're allowed to just spray them off and wash them down the drain. Yeah. Good advice. Thank you. <laughs> so you mentioned social media and y'all use that very prolifically. What's one piece of advice you have for horticulturists using social media? Just do good t- content that isn't false quote I heard recently is uh, there are a lot of influencers out there with a lot of influence and not a lot of experience like that. Yeah. There is a lot of just bad information on the internet. So I would say do things that are meaningful. If it's social media, if it's not video, make sure your pictures are always perfect. The photography should always be as close to perfect as you can get it. And yeah, just if you have a passion for plants, 
show that in what you're showing and people will respond to it. It's funny how that works. Yeah. Thank you. What is a gardening myth that a lot of people believe that your experience or research you've seen has proven otherwise? So it's something a lot of people believe is true, but you want to basically bash the myth on the podcast. You tell me if I'm right about this. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> it's the lack of understanding around how crossing works with vegetables. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. If I have this pepper next to this pepper, all my peppers will be super spicy. Oh, yes. Okay, I see. Maybe the progeny. Right. That's correct. So if you have a sweet pepper and a chili pepper next to each other and they cross, the embryo of like, let's say you have hot pepper pollen, pollinate a sweet bell pepper. The progeny, like you said, the embryo inside the seed will be what holds the heat. But the heat comes from the pepper's placental tissue. So the bell pepper will not have any type of heat, to the best of my knowledge. Yeah. Now, the resulting plant... The resulting offspring could have, yeah. So yeah, it could have varying could have levels of whatever. And then it would be the same with if you have a Roma next to a beef steak, you're not going to have diminished Roma flavor. It's going to be a Roma. Correct. Yes, exactly. Even yeah. if it was cross pollinated with a, yeah. a beef steak or whatever the situation is. Yeah. So there's that one. Also, just the whole conversation around GMO is so misunderstood among the general public. Even now, yeah. these years later, it's just so misunderstood. I get asked constantly if any of our, if our vegetables are GMO, and I don't think there are any that are actually commercially available. No. Yeah. Not in a garden center. So it sounds like people have plant breeding questions they ask you frequently. Sometimes. More just, just that, that kind of thing. Not much in the way of plant breeding. No. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, second to last question, I always ask people on the Plantastic Podcast is, we are great propagators of plants, but we need to improve our propagation for gardeners, making more gardeners. So I'm going to read a quote that you stated in a oh, no. greenhouse management <laughs> in a greenhouse management interview. You said, plants really do enhance our lives in ways that we don't always perceive. My goal as an individual is to keep educating people about plants and build that excitement about plants to people who maybe didn't know they could be so excited about them. So propagating horticulturists, how do we do it and how do we help make more people excited about plants? Well, what I am doing every day is I am trying to stay excited about plants because I really love them. They're part of my life, huge part of my life. And I find that the more I am excited about what I do, the more people respond to it, like let your passion play kind of thing. So I think the thing that we do, first step is make sure that we are really sharing our love of what we do as much as we can and making sure that our passion shows through in what we're doing. I think you understand that acutely. I can tell by the way you live and here you are doing a podcast. So you're doing it. I think that's what we do. And there are plenty of businesses out there that are in this trade that don't really actually value what they're selling. Yeah. Unfortunate. They're not, they are not just widgets. It's important to remember that what we do is an inherently good thing. We enhance people's lives with plants. Plants enhance your life. So at the peak of COVID, for example, I was having some pretty mixed feelings. Right when we were getting the shutdowns rolling and I was feeling pretty guilty because I'm watching all my contemporary businesses get shut down and here I am left open because I'm an mm -hmm. essential business. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at what I'm selling at the time and I'm thinking, this is not very essential. <laughs> even my own biases were seeking, seeping through. So even though we were part of the food supply chain, we were selling vegetables and herbs. I'm just looking at it and, and I just felt guilty because here I was allowed to stay open and others were getting shut down. And then about two weeks went by and the people are buying houseplants and houseplants and houseplants. And someone came up to me and they were like nearly breaking down. 
And they were like, I just want you to know it's so wonderful that you've stayed open and I've been losing my mind the past few weeks. And if it wasn't for my plants and my house plants, I'd be losing my mind. And that's when I was like, whoa, what we're doing is really important. Yeah. I hear, I see, I'll see things on the internet. Like, why would you grow that if you can't eat it? So I, I am every day, I'm going to bring it to work as much as I possibly can to stay in love with plants because I love plants. And I know that the answer to getting people interested in plants is for me to first off have a genuine interest in plants. Great. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Last question. Where can people find out more about you and Groovy Plants Ranch? Yeah, groovyplantsranch.com, or you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Each one has its own interesting, different content. TikTok's really interesting right now. I don't know if you've noticed, but you know we have a banana video that has like 950,000 views. Oh my goodness. Over bananas. Yeah, that's bananas. <laughs> bananas. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, it's, it's funny how even a format like TikTok, this says something about plants. Okay. Yeah. If you're going to make TikTok content, there's this, here's how you do it, right? You got to do the song and dance, or you got to use whatever the audio is that's hot right now. And, it, and all we do is we just talk about the plants we love and why they're cool. And it works. It may not get 10 million views, but 950,000 is no joke. Yeah. The fact is we're just a small garden center in the flyover state and people are still interested. So I think that says something about plants. Yeah, it does. And that's more of the model I like to go to because we're kind of similar dishes. Texas is rural flyover area as well. And so that's part of the reason I do the podcast too, is just enriching my life while also helping to enrich others. So again, thank you, Jared and Liz. And Trillium and Lily, all that y'all do at Guru Plants Ranch. This was a stellar, incredible conversation. I feel so inspired and my own creativity enhanced. So again, Jared, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing your experiences. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for doing the podcast and sharing your love for plants. So it's, it's really important work. Sure thing. And we'll wrap the show with that. Thanks again. Great. Thanks, Jared. Thanks so much for listening today. Do you have questions or comments? You can visit theplantasticpodcast.com for show notes and to reach out and say hi. Remember, plants can't talk, but we can. The plant world needs people to share how wonderful these green organisms are. So tell someone a fun fact about plants. Make it simple, make it remarkable, and most of all, make it plantastic. Until next time, keep growing.